time in Jerusalem. And it had become a tradition that uh, they would release a prisoner um, to basically help celebrate or, or commemorate the time. Uh, Passover being that time where uh, they're remembering the story of being slaves and God bringing them out of Egypt. And so it's almost kind of that commemoration. And so we'll release a prisoner. We'll free someone. And so this is kind of where we pick the story up. It says, now at the feast he used to release for one of them a prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Talking about Jesus. Because he had Jesus in his custody and he really, he found no fault in Jesus. And he didn't really want to punish Jesus. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now you know the rest of the story. Jesus was taken. Barabbas was released. Barabbas, an interesting character. This is really kind of all four Gospels speak of this incident. Uh, And Barabbas is an interesting character because this is really all we know of his story. We know just a little bit about what the Gospels tell us. And and sometimes we think he's just a common thief. That Barabbas, well, he was caught stealing something. He's more like uh, Valjean in this story. He's just a common thief. But he was more than just a common thief. If you go look at what he's called, he was called a rebel. And he was caught in the insurrection. So this is more than just stealing something from someone. He's a murderer. He's actually would probably what be labeled for us today in our culture as a terrorist. I want you to think about that, that word terrorist. That's who Barabbas is. Barabbas is one who's, in, who's been part of insurrections because Jewish law and Roman law did not afford for uh, the death penalty for just thievery. You didn't get the death penalty for being just a thief. You got the death penalty because there was something more there. You got the death penalty for insurrection, for being a rebel. That's who they put on the cross. Because when they put you on the cross, they were saying something, said, this is what happens to rebels. This is what we do to rebels. This is what, the, this is what Caesar and the Roman Empire does to those who come against us. We will stop you and take your life. So they put them on a cross, not only to execute them, but to be a sign for everyone who sees it. So they lift them up high. And they would make these guys make their own cross. They would have to put their own execution instrument together, right? They, had, they would have to work on that. And so here's Barabbas now. He knows what's coming for him. He knows what's about to happen for him. And it's interesting to me because I never really put this together. I, I always think about Jesus hanging between two what? Thieves. They are called the same thing. The same word is used for them as what gets used for Barabbas. 
And remember, they don't execute you for being a thief. So there's more that's going on there. These two thieves are also rebels. And I wonder if Barabbas knew those guys as well. I wonder if Barabbas, when he's standing there and they're saying, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And Barabbas is standing there and he's probably thinking, yeah, this is not going to happen. They're going to take me out. This guy's done nothing. I'm the one who's really guilty. He knows his life. He knows his story. He knows his sin. And the most crazy thing happens that they actually take the chains off of him. Just like in the, the Lady Miserat story. Take the shackles off of him and said, you're free to go. Okay, we got an amber alert. All right. Every, everybody, check your amber alert. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, State of Georgia, keeping us safe. All right. Some of y'all are a little bit, little bit late behind. You're getting the late amber alert. But Barabbas is basically released. And can you imagine, if that was you, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine if you're there and you know that you should be executed, but now they're saying, go home. What would happen? I've tried to find what happened to Barabbas after this. There's, no, there's no, nothing that tells us in Scripture what happens to Barabbas after this. All we have are like snippets of tradition. There are some stories that say that Barabbas left and went back to being a rebel. But there are other stories that say this, that once he was released, he was curious about this guy Jesus. And that he could not just walk away that he followed him to Golgotha. And that story goes that he stood there and watched him be crucified. And it changed him. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a legend. I would think that if that's me, that this picture of grace somehow has to impact me. That this picture of grace somehow has to impact who I am. And to see the, the contrast here. Someone who's guilty and someone who's done nothing wrong. Actually, he's done everything right to give us life. You know who Barabbas is? It's me and you. We're Barabbas. I am Barabbas because what I've done, the sin that I hold, Jesus took that from me. He stepped in my place and took it to the cross. Everything that should happen to me, the things that I should get, you know what karma says, right? Doesn't have a menu. You get served what you deserve. That's why grace is better. Grace is so much better. Grace is better than karma. And that's why in the Gospels, when you see this story, it's only in the Gospels, only in the Gospel, does love precede loveliness. Only in the Gospel does love precede loveliness. Because everywhere else, and you know this, you know this is true, we love the things that are lovely. We want to 
give a chance to those who are beautiful, to those who like us, to those who are, uh, they have good attitudes, who are nice, who are kind. That's who we love, right? We love the people who love us back. Those people are easy to love. That's not grace. Grace is loving the one who seems unlovable. Grace is giving love to those who have no loveliness. And that's Barabbas. And Barabbas was given the best kind of love, the best kind of grace. And I tend to believe that it changed him. It's interesting that anybody have seen The Passion of the Christ? Can you put that picture back up there? This guy, this, this guy, this actor who played that part of Barabbas, it's interesting. He's kind of a crazy-looking fellow. And um, as I was reading the story, he's an actor who played in this movie, and he said that after he played in this movie, he did this part, he was struck by the grace of what he depicted on film, and he actually became a believer through this. His own life was changed. See, that's what grace does. I think grace is more powerful. It's not just better than karma. It's way more powerful than karma. I don't believe in karma anyways. I do believe in grace because I know that it's changed my heart, and I've seen the lives that it's changed around me. See, grace is engaging someone's heart over their behavior. That's what grace is. Grace is engaging someone's heart over their behavior. Grace says, I know your behavior says this. But the bishop, when he looked at Jean Valjean, he says, I'm going to look at your heart. Because that's what Jesus died for. And that's what I want to give back to the Lord. And so that's for every one of us, the same, same picture, same thing. I'm going to ask somebody to come play. Grace is a powerful thing. Grace is so needed. Grace is extended love to those who display none of the loveliness. There's a guy in 1991. His name is Mike Powell. I don't know if any of, any of you guys remember Mike Powell. He, he was an Olympian, world-class athlete. He was a two-time Olympic medalist. Can you put that picture up there, Steve? Mike Powell. He um, participated in the long jump. Mike Powell holds the record for long jump, the world record for the long jump. You want to know how far he jumped? He jumped more than 29 feet. 29 feet, four and a quarter inches. I had Bella come in here with me this morning. I took my 100-foot measuring tape, and I measured off 29 feet, four and a quarter inches. So if you go from the corner of this stage all the way back past that back row, that's how far he jumped. He jumped that far. That's the world record for how far that man jumped. I thought about that. And I, I thought about it like this. I thought, you know what? Those of us who need grace, those of us who are like Barabbas, those of us who are like Jean Valjean, that we need grace and we know that there have been times in our life where we're not good. We're not lovely. We're not beautiful. Our life is broken and it's horrible in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of pain. And there's a lot of things that we've done wrong. 
And sometimes getting to God seems like that long jump. I couldn't jump that far. I couldn't get that far. But this is the thing about God. When I can't make the long jump to God, God makes the long jump to us. That's what grace does. It bridges that gap. It closes the space in between us. It brings us close. That's what grace does. And there's always enough grace. You say there can't be, you can't, there can't be enough forgiveness. There's always enough grace and forgiveness. His love is limitless. Grace is never just enough. It is always more than enough. So anybody in here, do you need grace? He's got plenty. He offers it to you. He offers it to me. You don't have to work. You don't have to work for it. If you work for it, it wouldn't be grace. It's called something else. Grace is freely given. You say, well, I'm not good. I'm not lovely. I'm not. I know. None of us are. That's the story. But Jesus didn't wait till we were lovely. He stepped into a broken world to take something that was broken and make it lovely. So maybe your life hasn't been lovely up to this point. Your story hasn't been pretty. But I promise you, Jesus wants to step into it and do something with it. Stand with me. bow your head just for a moment. I just want you to think right now. I want you to look at your story. I want you to look at your life. Then just ask yourself the question, am I in need of grace? Maybe this is the first time you're looking at this question in relation to God, in relation to what Jesus has done. Maybe it's not the first time. Maybe it's the fifth time. Maybe it's the tenth time. Maybe it's the 100th time. He's got more grace. You can't out God's grace. He will find you. He will follow you. He will track you down. He loves you that much. He's not willing to let you go. He's not willing to cut you off and say, nah, there's not enough grace for you. The story is there's more than enough. Now, absolutely there are consequences, and absolutely there is justice. But let me tell you this. Before there is ever judgment in the Bible, mercy is always extended. Now, you can choose judgment if you want to, but that's a choice that you make. He always offers you mercy. So this morning, anybody in here, you just slip your hand up and say, I just need some grace today. I know my story, and my story needs grace. Who is it this morning? You would lift your hand and say, my story needs grace. My life needs grace. I need the grace of Jesus right now wash me, to cover me, to cleanse me. I know my sins. I know what I've done. Jesus does to me, and he still offers it to me. 
So this morning, Lord, we come to you. We lift our hands. More than that, we open our hearts. Lord, change us. And Lord, you don't step in front of us and point your finger in our face and, and tell us how bad we are. Actually, you're like the prodigal son's dad who opened his arms and ran after him and hugged him. And before he could get the excuses out, before he could get out his rehearsed speech, you were already planning the reunion and the party for the homecoming. That's your love. That's how big it is. That's how, that's how beautiful your grace is. And that's what we get. That's what you offer to us. And so this morning we receive that. We receive your grace. When we're unlovely, you're still beautiful. When we've done horrible things, you still reach out. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's what your word says. So Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you wash over us. So we want to bow our heart right now. In this altar call, we bow our heart. We humble our spirit. Change us from the inside out. Set our feet on a new path. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we sing this together? Oh, you heard.